praise something that is praiseworthy is the right thing to do. To praise something that is praiseworthy is the right thing to do. If there is something that is majestic, if there is something that is beautiful, if there is something that is true or good, then the right thing to do is to express praise for that particular movie, song, sunset, landscape, novel, whatever you want to put in that blank. And what's interesting is that it's not enough to just praise it. How does one complete this experience of enjoyment with regards to something that, you, that, that you've seen? How, do you, how does one complete it? Tell somebody else about it. You have to share it. It's not enough to just praise it. You have to tell other people about it. I, a couple of months ago, we were there in the Southern Cape, and uh, we were there whilst the whales were there as well. And I, I just found them so majestic. I, I mean, I haven't looked at whales before. You, you said, and I don't want to dismiss your answer, but people are always so excited about lions. But what about whales? I mean, these guys are pretty impressive. And I was watching the, the surface of the water, and then you would see a breach. And I would want to share it with my wife and say, just look, just look, just look. And then she'll look for about 20 seconds, and then she'll, you know, I don't know, a butterfly would fly past, and she would be distracted. And then the breach happens again. I said, did you see it? Did you see it? Oh, no, I missed it. And then I would be so annoyed with her, and I would literally hold her head. Look, we're looking at that particular area. Keep looking. And then when I see she gets bored and she wants to go on to the next thing, uh, she... Uh, I would say, no, 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 you have to look at this. And it was even harder to get my little toddler to look at the same thing. Look, look, it's over there, I promise you. Okay, uh, you know, he wasn't necessarily excited. But eventually, I got them to see the breach, and they were maybe not as excited as I was, but they could share in the excitement. They could praise it with me. We were on a cell retreat, uh, I think two weekends ago, and we went to this place that is just majestic. They're in the... Machalisberger, and the architecture is just insane, and the, uh, the simplicity of it. I, I was just so impressed. These little tree houses, and you know, a, a toilet three stories in the air, and uh, I'm impressed by that kind of thing. Uh, just, just, just very well thought out. And I, I asked everybody, can you guys please send me pictures? Because the website pictures suck. It doesn't tell the, the true story. And I wanted to share it with a couple of people. Just look at this. This is really amazing. Isn't this great? I, I wish you guys can go there as well and experience something that, 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 that I experienced. When somebody is in love, not sure if that's anything that you can relate to. If somebody is in love, especially in the beginning, then you would sit with maybe your friend, and, and maybe they're in the beginning stages, and she would walk past, and he would just, yes, just look at her. Mm. Isn't she lovely? And then I, I never know how to respond to that. Because, I mean, you like her, obviously. Should I also express praise? Because I think one can be too enthusiastic as well. But the, the fact of the matter is that this lover is excited about the object of his love. And he wants to draw other people in. Just, just look at her. Wow. Isn't, isn't that amazing? You've got foodies unfortunately, in this world, and they would taste something. And 
she's my, my wife. I'm, I'm sorry to make her the, the butt end of all my sermon illustrations, but I mean, that's why one gets married, right? Uh, she, she would just stuff something into my mouth. You have to taste this. And, and whether you've gotten free will or not is irrelevant. Uh, you, you, have to, you have to taste it. They have this deep need to share it with, with other people. Or reading a book, you've got to read it. And, and it's not just about reading the book. Did you read that passage? Did you see that argument? Did, did, what do you think of that character? Isn't it brilliant? And you want to talk to people about it, and you want to draw them in. This is what humans do when we see something that is praiseworthy. And if it's true in all aspects of life, surely it will touch on the spiritual dimension as well. And this is exactly what the psalmist does in Psalm 34 from verse 1. Just, just, just follow along with me. Psalm 34 from verse 1. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. This guy is excited about God, and he's calling other people in. Come and see what I am seeing. He goes on, and he says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Can you see what this guy is doing? He is, he is so excited about God. God has really come through for him. He's seen a dimension of God that he may, may not have seen before. And the only thing that he can do is draw other people in in praise. Are you guys with me? Friends, there are certain things in this world that if you do not praise them, you are stupid. So, for example, the life of, of somebody like a William Wilberforce or even somebody like an Albert Letuli, if it's a life that was lived so well, so sacrificially, made such an impact, if you look at that life and the fruit of that life and you are unchanged, you say, meh then you're stupid. It is the wrong reaction. You are not living in reality. If that is your reaction, it's like calling blue red. It's like calling up, down. But there are other things as well. Like, and and I'm, I'm not saying this jokingly, but if, if you've ever seen the footwork of an athlete like Cheslin Colby, stepping people, it's a thing of beauty. My wife couldn't care less about rugby, but every now and then, I cannot help myself. I would, I would start the conversation. I know you don't care, but just look at this guy stepping, these, these, making these grown professional athletes look like an old-age home. Uh, I've, when, when I'm in a dark place and when I'm struggling, I often go back to where he stepped Owen Farrell in the World Cup final, uh, just to remind myself that, that life is good and meaningful. Um, Roger, Roger Federer, if you look at that guy's backhand, it's a thing of beauty. If you don't think it's, it's, it's beautiful, you're wrong. It's as simple as that. If you've ever read The Lord of the Rings and you say, this is stupid, it's wrong. You're calling up, down. You're calling blue, black. You're not in tune with reality. Sometimes it's a beautiful choir. I don't, I don't know what it is. The point is, 
that there are certain things that the only thing that you can do that is right and meaningful when you are confronted with it is to praise it. I have the privilege to, to take tours on an annual basis, and, and I take these brats, high school kids with rich parents, and we, we take them to some of the, the famous European cities. And on this one occasion, I'm taking them to Rome, and we're there in the Vatican City. Who's, who's been in the Vatican City? Okay, a couple of us. It is, it is amazing. And you walk past all of these wonderful artworks of, of Raphael and some of the other Renaissance masters, and eventually you go into a room. Now, I've got this whole group of 50 students following me, and we all have earpieces, which feels quite you know, uh, CIA-ish, and, and that is that we can just sort of respect the atmosphere in this room. So we, we eventually move into this room, and I tell them, now we are in the Sistine Chapel. Now we are seeing Michelangelo's greatest work. Now we are seeing probably the most famous artwork in the Western world. If you've got a picture of God, it probably comes from there. If you've got a picture of creation, if you've got a picture of the fall, if you've got a picture of hell, it probably comes from here. This thing has been ripped off, copied. This is one of the greatest artworks in the Western world. And I tell them about Michelangelo and his, his temporary blindness and the, the time it took and the skill it took and his fight with the Pope, etc., etc., etc. And I try to get them to praise something that is obviously praiseworthy. And this one boy comes up to me. He's also whispering because he knows that's what you need to do. And he says, Johan, I've got a question. And I'm like, yeah, go for it. And he says, what is the Wi-Fi password? <laughs> and, and I, I, didn't, I didn't give it to him because it's the wrong question. It's the wrong reaction. You are missing reality. You are not paying attention. And you missed out. You missed, you missed out on something that is obviously praiseworthy. Praiseworthy things demand our praise. Now, friends, if it's true of things, if it's even true of creators like, like an Elon Musk, he's a creative guy. Apparently, he seems like he's quite smart. Unfortunately, he knows that, but he, he, he's made some, I think, impressive things. Steve Jobs, I'm told, was equally impressive. And I think we can celebrate and even praise these creators. But how much more so if it is the creator of the universe? By his very definition, he demands our praise. To not praise him would be to miss reality. It would be to stand in the Sistine Chapel and ask, what is the Wi-Fi password? It would be like listening to the most amazing symphony orchestra and saying, ha, huh, I guess it's kind of okay. It is not the right response. We praise because we are enjoying something which ought to be enjoyed. And that is why we ought to praise God. Now, friends, there's this common misconception that God wants our praise because God wants our praise. That God is actually, 
a little bit insecure, and he needs us to tell him how amazing he is. And to be fair, I can understand why people can think that way when they read the Psalms, when they read some of the other praise literature, that it, it seems like God is, is a little bit ego, his, his ego is a little bit out of step, and he constantly wants us to be his cheerleaders and tell him how amazing he is. But what if him telling us to worship him is not about him, but about us? God doesn't need our praise. The classical theologians have been saying this for centuries. He doesn't need our praise. He is infinitely happy within himself. Within the triune God, they have been praising each other um, for eternity. They don't, they don't need our praise. Just think about it. If God really wanted our praise, would he ask us? I mean, surely there are some angels or some other angelic being that would be more adequate to praise him. It's a little bit like, you know, I need affirmation every now and then. But if there are five dogs, and every time I preach, you can see they are barking in approval, do you think it's going to make me feel better about my sermons? No. Well, maybe a little bit, but, 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 but not really, because the distance between me and the dog is it, it, it's really big. Well, the distance between us and God is even bigger. So why would he want us, dogs, to bark approval at him and, and that makes him feel good? He wants us to praise him because we need it. When we practice adoration, when we praise him, there are a few things that happens. The first one is we are reminded who he is. The second thing is we are reminded who we are. And the third thing is we are reminded who we are to each other. There's a passage in the book of Genesis that we've read so many times and it's going to be difficult to rescue it from familiarity. And I've never seen this until preparing for this particular talk. It is Genesis 3. It is the, the account of the fall. And I want you to pay attention to how God, is being refer how God is referred to in Genesis 3. So just pay attention to, to that one thing. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate. And she also gave some, of her husband, some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? What's going on? Throughout Genesis, prior to this and even after this, when there's a reference to God, it is always Lord God. 
And there are two Hebrew words that's put together here. Yahweh, Elohim. Yahweh is, the, is, is a very personal way in which God revealed himself to mankind. It's intimate and it's personal. I am your God, Yahweh. Elohim is more like a title. It's more like divinity. It's abstract. It's, it's a little bit like Aristotle's first mover. It's detached. Are you guys with me? That's Elohim. The Bible constantly uses, I, I mean in Genesis, it, it constantly uses Yahweh Elohim together. And this is how Adam and Eve knew God up until that point. Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Elohim. The serpent comes along, what does he do? Did Elohim really say that? Did Elohim really say that? And then what happens? Eve said, Eve responds, she says, yeah, Elohim did say this and this and this. She uses this language. Why is that significant? Because God has revealed himself up until this point as a loving father who is giving, giving mankind all these good gifts. He is intimate. He is walking with them. The serpent comes in and presents God as a distant, abstract, stingy dictator. And what happens? Eve falls for it. She believes it. She believes God is this stingy, distant divinity who's not really interested in mankind. And what does she do? In the process of losing sight of God's, of God being a father, she in the process loses her ability to be a daughter. Can you see why praise is important, friends? If we do not have the right view of God, if we see God as some abstract divinity who's not really interested in us, if we do not reflect on who he is and his attributes, then things change in our lives. We, become, we, we start to fend for ourselves. We start to take matters into our own hands. And the next thing that happens is we hide from the person next to us. All of a sudden, the person next to me is not my brother or my sister. He is somebody that I need to hide from. Can you see how inc an incorrect view of God resulted in, them, in Eve being detached and not feeling familial with God? She drops the Yahweh. It's now only Elohim. And then the horizontal re relationships also disintegrate. Can you see this beautiful pattern or this tragic pattern in the story of, of Genesis? Jesus, however, doesn't leave us there. He comes and he prays. And after a while, these disciples of him, they ask him, you pray differently, like teach us to pray. Now remember, these weren't novices asking God, asking Jesus to teach them to pray. These guys have been praying their whole lives. They, they know the, the Hebrew prayers off by heart. But they've been looking at Jesus and saying, this guy prays differently. What is it that he is doing? And it was probably, I mean, we can only speculate, but it was probably the familiarity with which he spoke to God. And when he teaches the disciples to pray, what are the, what, what are the first words that comes out of his mouth? Our Father. Our Father. He's bringing the Yahweh back next to the Elohim. Does that make sense? 
He's bringing that intimate. God is not this distant, aloof, detached, abstract divinity. He is our Father. That is how you should pray. That is how you should praise. You should praise him as our Father. When he told parables, God was always a Father. He wanted to bring back this very vivid uh, reality into our lives. When we think that our, our lives belongs to us, and there are just various things that God is not interested in, that is such a toxic spiritual position to be in. You have to be reminded that God is our Father. And this type of intimacy, friends, it wouldn't shock us today, but it would have shocked everybody in the ancient world. For a first century Jewish person to hear that God is our Father, it would have shocked them. To this day, if you use that kind of language in the Muslim world, in the Middle East, they would find it very sacrilegious. That kind of intimacy would have been very shocking. The next thing that Jesus teaches us, our Father, hallowed be thy name. That's interesting. So the one is super intimate. The other one has this deep reverence, hallowed. In other words, you are set apart. You are sacred. You are completely distant from me. You are so high above me. Can you see the intimacy, the nearness, and the farness? The, you are close to us, Lord, but you are also infinitely bigger and better than us. Why is that necessary? We don't like the haloed, the haloed bit. We like the father bit. Why is the haloed be thy name? Why is that important? Because, friends, in this life, I know this because I'm a human. In this life, what we do over and over again is we hallow something else, or rather we halo something else. Accomplishment, success, status, looks, family, productivity, comfort. We've got this natural tendency. Uh, what, what did... Uh, my favorite theologian, John Calvin, uh, say, he said, our hearts um, are idle factories. And he was right. He was right. We, 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 we do have this tendency to make idols out of everything. We've got this tendency to to something that is not God. And it almost always ends badly for us. So when we say, hallowed be thy name, we are declaring war on these disordered loves in our life. When we say, God, your name is high above every other, higher than, than any other name, then we are declaring war on this natural tendency of ours to constantly divinize other things in our lives. Are you guys with me? Again, when we praise God, when we adore God, we are not doing it because he needs to hear it. We are doing it because it is reordering our affections. It is reordering our loves. There's something else that happens as well when we pray our Father. I was... 
in, in Israel uh, when we had a tour there, and there was one guy who was a little bit English, so I would speak a little bit English every now and then, but it was mainly a very Afrikaans conservative group. And uh, from a broad conservative church here in Pretoria. And at one stage, one of the guys were a little bit offended, and he said, um, my God understands Afrikaans, so I think we can speak Afrikaans. And then I corrected him, and I just said, it's not my God, it's our God. It's our God. It's our Father in heaven. So in other words, when we have the correct view of God, then we also have the correct view of each other. In other words, if God is my father, then it makes you guys my sisters and my brothers. Even if you annoy me. Even if I really don't see you as family. Even if there's no genuine connection. I, I was reminded of this <laughs> today, where there's somebody that sort of, I don't know, I, I just struggle with, with this person. They're not here, uh, so relax. And, and, and I, I was busy thinking, what is it about this person that annoys me? And as I was busy with it, this just popped into my head. It's our father. This person is a brother and sister. And I was like, ah, oh, man, uh, maybe it's not such a solid point. It is. <laughs> it is. So when we praise God and we do it in the correct manner, we've got the correct view of him, we get the correct view of ourselves as his child, and we've got the correct view of people around us as our brothers and sisters. There is something, friends, that is linked to adoration, to praise, that is so crucial, crucial and that is gratitude. So to be grateful and to praise are, are two terms that, that are sort of interchangeably used in, in Scripture. And there's this passage that a lot of us would be familiar with, but I've never read it in this particular way. And that is Romans 1, verse, from verse 19. So you can just, you can just follow along or, or listen with me. Romans 1, uh, from verse 19, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse, 20, uh, verse 21, I'm going to repeat. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish, heart, foolish hearts were darkened. Why is it such a problem to, to live in a state of, of being entitled, of not having a heart that, is, that, is acknowledge, that acknowledges that, that, that I am grateful for a lot of these gifts, for all of these gifts around me? Why is it so toxic? Because, again, it is not living in reality. Why it is so toxic is because it's a form of plagiarism. Plagiarism is when you take credit for something that, 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 that you didn't do. So when, 
when I, when I look at my life and I say, oh, well, I mean, I worked hard for it. You see a lot of these YouTube people who, who would say, uh, you know, I'm a self-made man and this is what I've done and uh, you just got, you know, need to grab life by the, by the horns and anybody who stands in your way and then they use some sort of expletive. Uh, uh, what fools? What fools? That's plagiarism. You are taking... Um, that is a very impressive baby, by the way. Um, and you, you, you've got... It, it, it is foolish to think that you are responsible for all of these good things in, in your life. Are you guys with me? You refuse to acknowledge dependence. You refuse to live in quiet, amazed thankfulness. And you know what's a good way to practice this? If you, maybe you're the type of person that cannot enjoy food. You're, you're overcritical. Maybe you're overcritical about movies, about music, about uh, your, your company, about a school, about a teacher, about a coach, about um, a sermon, about worship, about books, about family, about weather. Maybe there's nothing in you that can ever praise these types of things. Spiritually, that is a very toxic place to be. People who live in tune with God, who's got this grateful heart, they will find it actually easy to praise things around them. Today we value the cynic, right? And we shun the idealist. And I'm not advocating for idealism here, but what I am saying is that somebody who can enjoy things that's imperfect, somebody who's got this thankful and grateful attitude towards the world, that person is far closer to the heart of God than, than anyone else. Friends, what I want us to do now is I want us to go into prayer. And how I want us to do that is to maybe just grab a piece of paper and a pen. Um, there are a couple of them on the tables here, so you can just help yourself. There are also a couple of books that you can uh, maybe just press on. And, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to... I want you to write a prayer and I want you to fill in the blank. When we practice this prayer of adoration, we say, when I think of fill in the blank, I worship your name. Now here's the thing, it is different for everyone. There are different things that excite people, that, that connects them to God. For some, it might be nature. For some, it might be music. For me, I'm going to share that with you now because I think it's a good habit to share why you praise God with other people, right? I, when I did this exercise um, yesterday, what I noticed is when I think of the hope that the gospel has given in hopeless places, I worship your name. When I think of the redemption and healing in toxic relationships that, that just seems like there's no hope and then there is redemption, when I see that, I worship your name. When I see the beauty of your story and the rhymes and the echoes and the harmony of it all within Scripture, I cannot do anything else but worship your name. Those are some of mine. 
write down yours. What is it that leads you to adoration? And then the other thing that I want to ask you to do is also just complete the sentence, I thank you for. What are the things you are grateful for? What are some of the reasons why you praise him? Write and pray. We praise God because we declare war on our disordered loves, on our disordered affections. And we do it corporately. Every time we come together, that is what we do. So with this in mind, you can still do some writing, uh, but please, please join us in praising God together. Because to praise Him is to not miss out. To praise Him is to see clearly that He is something that ought to be praised. <laughs>